Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, my dear podcast listeners. This is Charlie from the future once again. Um, Or I guess we determined I'm in the present for me, but by the time you're listening, it will be in the past. So just it's a different time period than the time that we recorded the podcast that you're about to listen to. Um, As you may have caught in previous episodes, Megan and I recorded a bunch of episodes over the summer to try and get ahead of what would be the eventual birth of my child. Well, I am on that very paternity leave at that moment, at this moment, Um, but I wanted to come on for just a second to announce the happy and healthy birth of Solvay Emilia Stanley Murphy. Uh, She arrived at 10.46 p.m. last Thursday. I had promised her mom that morning that she was viewing the sunrise of her birthday, and we just barely hung on to that promise. She was eight and a half pounds and 52 centimeters long, a very long and strong and healthy baby. Um, You'll be hearing her cries in future episodes, I'm sure. Uh, And fear not, we're gonna keep the episodes coming strong without a break. We've got some great ones in the can um, with some fun artists, some different paths explored and some great colleges. Uh, We have a fun new twist too coming as we get into the fall. So stay tuned for some of those fun twists and turns. Um, Thank you to all of you for listening and for caring and for sharing your sweet well wishes for me and my family. I've so appreciated hearing from many of you, um, and we send that love right back to you and yours. Uh, Okay, now, once again, back to the past, which is your present and my future. I think I got that right. (laughs) Okay. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we have a fun acting school show lined up for you. Um, Today we have Quinn Gordon from UNCSA. Uh, We have a long lasting relationship with Quinn and UNCSA, um, including Quinn just finally taught a masterclass for us this spring. We've been trying to schedule him for years, so we were delighted to get him in to teach a masterclass for us. Uh, UNCSA is the first of our non-MT acting schools. And here's a side note. You can let me know at our mailbag, what is your favorite term for a non-MT acting school? I think there's something a little problematic about calling them straight acting schools, which was the term for a while. And we don't necessarily just want to call them acting or drama schools since MT schools are also acting and drama schools, but they're not not necessarily non-musical schools. So for now, I'm going to say non-MT acting schools, but you'll get the point. Maybe I'll just say acting schools and you'll also know what I mean. We're not saying that MT schools are not acting schools, et cetera. Um, But we will definitely have more of these types of schools, whatever we're calling them, 
on the pod, um, both for our non-musical acting students and for a lot of our musical theater students who are maybe open to this slightly different path and might be applying to some acting schools alongside their acting-focused empty schools and maybe the broader musical theater school um, list. As we noted with our seventh episode and Gabe Ebert, he went to a non-MT acting school in Juilliard and then won a Tony Award for a musical that he sang beautifully in. So there are so many different paths for different artists, Um, but we'll keep kind of weaving these in as we try to show off all the different paths for artists and all the different paths for schools as well. Um, But this is another one of our college deep dive episodes where we give you a little snackable audio tour into the great theater programs around the country. Today, Quinn and I chat about a campus surrounded by artists where everyone is an artist, even the staff. Uh, The the idea of conservatory as like a med school slash law school slash division one athlete life. Um, We talk a little bit about methods and, you know, their school being a, a school of many methods and not a single method, but also how they integrate film training throughout the four years as opposed to introducing film later in the process. Um, From the audition perspective, Quinn talks about wanting to see four different sides of you. Um, He talks about how you have to love, love acting because they can't teach you how to do it. And we talk a lot about the price tag of UNCSA and how darn cheap it is, which I know some of my parents out there are going to like to hear. Next week, we have Ethan Slater from SpongeBob on Broadway uh, and an interesting path um, from him having gone to Vassar College. But for now... Let's get to Quinn. Well, it is such an honor to have on the podcast today, Quinn Gordon. Uh, Quinn has a BFA in directing from this very UNCSA we're going to be talking about today. Uh, He has an MFA in directing from UNC Greensboro, as well as a directing career in New York City and regionally. UNCSA, University of North Carolina School of the Arts, if I'm going to say it, the full thing out, is located in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, they have small class sizes of about 28 actors and two directors. They offer degrees in BFA acting and BFA directing, as well as BFAs in classical ballet, and contemporary dance, stuff like screenwriting and animatronics, basically anything you could think about in the performing arts degree. They offer a BFA or an MFA in it. Um, Quinn, how are you doing today? Welcome to the pod. I am very well. Um, we're uh, gearing up to start the school year. Um, freshman orientation begins on August 17th. Unbelievable. And, you know, we're, we're figuring out what our protocols are with the fall as, you know, things change in the nation very quickly. Um, but I'm, I'm really proud to say we, you know, we're unlike a number of our peer institutions, we were able to keep the doors open all last year and, and produce actually more work than we would in a normal year. So um, we were old hats at, you know, um, keeping our, our uh, student body and faculty and staff safe while still uh, maintaining the integrity of the training. So I love that. Um, before we get too far into UNCSA, I would just love to hear a little bit about your own background and, and what brought you back to UNCSA. So sure. um, yeah, tell us a little bit about how you found yourself in your current position. You know, the, the path is never linear. It's always lots of zigs and zags, um, like probably like a lot of the your listeners um, coming out of high school. I, I went to high school in the Bay Area and out of high school, I went to an acting program in New York City where I was trained by three old guys of the theater, uh, a guy named George Morrison, who started was one of the 
the folks that started the program at SUNY Purchase, a guy mm-hmm. named Mike Nichols, a very famous film and uh, theater director, um, and a guy named Paul Sills, who started Second City in Chicago. Mm-hmm. At a, then the three of them formed a school called the New Actors Workshop, which was in existence for 25 years. And at the time, I, I, I thought I was training to become an actor. Mm-hmm. But looking back, I realized that from Mike, I was I was learning a lot about storytelling on stage um, from Paul. I think I was learning an aesthetic as a, as a theater director and from George, I was learning how to teach acting. Hmm. Um, and so out of that, I was an actor in New York for a couple of years and then kind of found my way into teaching at a pretty young age, in my early twenties, um, which led to directing and then made me want to go back in my mid twenties to school and get my degree in, in directing, which I did at UNCSA. Um, at the time it was called NCSA. Um, and, uh, and then, um, did a fellowship at Lincoln center right out of college was a theater director in New York for a number of years, and then got invited back to my alma mater to, um, teach adjunct and direct. And then I realized I needed to get my master's because mm-hmm. the path seemed very clear at that point that I was a teacher. And I, I actually consider directing and teaching sort of one in the same in a lot of ways. Um, and so I, I ended up applying to a few schools, went to Carnegie Mellon uh, for a year for MFA and directing, and then got poached away for my current position after a year, um, and which was a difficult decision, um, mm-hmm. you know, leaving a great program. But I felt like the, if the job that I was training for probably wouldn't be there in, in a couple of years. And so I, I left that program and started at UNCSA teaching, acting, directing, and also serving as director of recruitment. So um, I see every single audition for the program, which is usually around 800 or so in a given cycle for, for those 30 or so spots. Um, and and it, it all worked out great. I ended up finishing my MFA down the road at UNCG for a lot less money. Um, <laughs> and and I couldn't be happier to be at this excellent program and working alongside the terrific uh, faculty that I get to work alongside and, and with our incredibly talented student body. Awesome. And we're going to definitely get into some of those 800 auditions today yes, without a yes. doubt. Um, but before we do that, I'd love to talk a little bit about like, what do you think it means to be a UNCSA student? Well, you know, we're, we're a unique program. Um, I, I think, I think we're, we're right for a certain kind of student that wants to be on a campus only surrounded by fellow artists. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a small school, about 1,300 students, um, and every single student on campus is an artist. Every faculty member is an artist. Even a lot of the staff are artists. Um, mm-hmm. So, for instance, if, if any of your listeners have been in touch with our wonderful um, admissions officer, Mr. Bill Poole, he plays percussion in a jazz ensemble on the weekends. So <laughs> you're, you're kind of only surrounded by your fellow aliens on, mm-hmm. on campus. Um, and we're really unique in that we are the only publicly supported standalone arts conservatory in the country. So again, it's a little different than being um, in a, in a conservatory within the context of a larger university where you have things like sororities and fraternities and football games. We only have our art. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's sort of the exciting thing uh, about being on our campus is kind of the, the, 
cross collaboration that that happens at certain times a year in, on our campus. Um, there are five schools: School of Drama, obviously, School of Dance, which you mentioned, um, the School of Music, the School of Design and Production, which we work very closely with. They design mm-hmm. all of our main stage shows as well as um, run all the the technical ends of our shows. Um, and, and we're a little different in that respect a lot at a lot of our peer institutions, drama and design and production are sort of under one umbrella, but they're separate schools on our campus, which I, I think makes a lot of sense because the, the student learning outcomes are a little different. Hmm. Um, and then the, the last school is the school of filmmaking, which we also work very closely with, um, the vast majority of our, of our, um, student body ends up. Um, participating in multiple student filmmaking productions over the course of their their four years. And it's sort of win-win because um, the filmmakers get access to by far the finest acting talent in the area. And our mm-hmm. our students get experience being on real film sets um, and they get to build up their uh, reel before they even leave college. So. That's really cool. Um, what do you feel like from a kind of training perspective? What do you feel like, let's say I come in, I want to be surrounded by those artists. I'm that open, curious kind of person. How am I going to come out changed four years later? What am I going to learn at UNCSA? Sure. A few major distinctions about our school. Um, first of all, we are a school of methods, not a single methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our acting classes are are rooted in Stanislavski. Of course, there are a lot of branches that have sprung off the, the Stanislavski tree. And, and the entire acting faculty, including myself, we, we come from a wide variety of training programs and we all kind of have our own lens, but we're, we're all in agreement in this one idea that um, when an actor kind of focuses on the doing, um, is when they remain when they're most active and when an actor sort of gets in trouble is when they start focusing on feeling um it is our belief that human beings can't actually control what they feel but what you can control is what you are doing in a given scene and so we're we're all kind of in in agreement as to what good acting looks like Mm -hmm. um and then i'd say another big distinction uh, particularly for your listeners is that we don't separate out musical theater and acting tracks. Um, It's our belief that every actor should feel comfortable at least singing in a play. Um, That isn't to say we haven't graduated many competitive Broadway musical singer actors. Again, we don't separate out tracks. Mm -hmm. Um, Just philosophically, we, we feel like, especially for our competitive singer actors, which there's always a handful in every given class, um, we're not going to sacrifice less acting classes for more singing and dancing classes. As we like to say, all of our classes are acting classes. And, and there are a lot of great, um, we have a lot of great peer institutions that have really amazing MT uh, tracks to them um, that will really prepare um, a student to immediately step into the chorus of a Broadway musical. But but what we like to say we're really training our, our competitive singer actors for is to play the leads in a Broadway musical. And that, mm-hmm. that actually tends to be where you see more of our representation on, on the Broadway stage, um, less so in the chorus. But we, have a hand, we always have a handful of leads in, on the, in the Broadway musical theater. Um, and so, for instance, my former student, Isaac Cole Powell, uh, was just playing Daniel and Once on This Island. Um, eventually, 
the put in for Timoon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, opposite him, Courtney Carter graduated the year before Isaac, and then Isaac took over. Uh, was playing Tony in the the Evo Van Hove production of West Side Story. Uh, people like Rebecca Naomi Jones, who was playing Lori in the the mo- the recent reimagined revival of Oklahoma. That so that tends to be the sort of thing that you see our competitive singer actors doing out in the world. Um, and then I'd say the other big distinction um, is our approach to on-camera training. Um, at most of our peer institutions, uh, acting for the camera is something that gets sort of introduced towards the end of a student's training, um, through either through a lengthy workshop or maybe a semester of, of work. Um, but we're really fortunate that our dean, Scott Ziegler, um, goes back about 30 years uh, to a guy named Bob Krakauer. They were both at the um, Actors Theater of Louisville at the same time. And uh, Bob Krakauer, this will sound sort of braggy and I don't mean it to, but he's just generally considered the finest on-camera teacher in the country. And, and the reason we know that is because he's hired by um, uh, film studios and television uh, uh uh, studios to do on-set coaching for professional actors. And there's something like a two-year waiting list for like professional actors to get into one of his classes in New York. And so they go back a long ways. And, and when, when Scott got the job a few years ago as dean, um, he sat down with Bob and he said, well, if you could do this anyway, how would you do it? And Bob said, well, for one thing, I wouldn't introduce it at the end. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd integrated into all four years of the training program. And so even given, um, you know, Bob's a really busy guy, but he's able to come down for intense blocks throughout the school year and work with all four years of the training program. And so we, we the reason why we integrate it through all four years is we just want our students to slip more seamlessly between mediums. That's all. Um, and, and in a lot of on-camera training, you're sort of taught that, well, it's just like, what you've been doing for a few years on stage, only smaller, which is just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, the stage is primarily a language-driven medium, whereas on camera, you're telling stories and pictures. So, um, Where would you put yourself if someone were to ask you like on a spectrum of like classical training versus contemporary theater versus maybe film? Like, where is there one focus that you feel like we're based in this or we're, we really lean more toward this end of the spectrum? You know, I'll say we're we're never going to abandon the classics. Um, in the third year of the training program, our students do a year-long progression in the work of William Shakespeare. Um, and the reason we're never going to abandon Shakespeare is we feel like if you can handle Shakespeare, you can do anything as an actor. Um, but I will say that given our student body, um, we're 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 a majority minority student body now. Um, And in order to really support them, I'd say the work that we produce on the main stage and the work that we're adding to our syllabi tends to skew more more contemporary. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because, you know, we're living in a golden age of American playwright, playwriting, in particular, a golden age of female identifying American playwrights, in particular, a golden age of female identifying playwrights of color. Mm. And so in order to support the diverse set of voices within our student body, um, you know, we, we're leaning more heavily on on contemporary work, um, and we're just producing a, a much more diverse set of contemporary American playwrights on our stages, and again in our in our classrooms as well. 
Mm. Um, You talked a little bit about it, but I'd love to hear a little more about kind of outside of the theater program. What do I get from being a UNCSA student? So other than just my my drama school, what, what else would I get on campus and sort of from the surrounding school? Sure. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're really fortunate in that we have a highly ranked school of filmmaking on campus. And so even given the rigors of our student schedule, we've really prioritized our, our students' participation in, in student filmmaking productions. Um, I, I actually sort of serve as the agent to our student body. <laughs> so when a, when a film production wants to um, uh, cast uh, uh, any, of, any of our actors, they come to me and we kind of work out the scheduling and I, I work on getting them excused from class. Um, and, and as I mentioned before, it's sort of win-win all around. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only do I, we want our student body to kind of have a professional-looking reel before they leave us, I'd say more importantly, we want them to develop relationships with the filmmakers of tomorrow. Um, the School of Filmmaking is close to 30 years old now, I believe, but it's already produced some pretty important voices of the American cinema, people like Jeff Nichols, who directed the films uh, Loving, which was Oscar nominated a few years ago, Mud with Matthew McConaughey, Take Shelter with uh, Michael Shannon, people like from my era, Brett Haley, um, who made, um, what did he make? He made I'll See You in My Dreams with Blythe Danner, Hearts Beat Loud with Nick Offerman, um, people like David Gordon Green, who um, has made a bunch of wonderful films, but most recently the Halloween reboot, which he cast a student, former student of mine in. Um, and, and all of those directors still cast School of Drama alumni from their era in their mm-hmm. films. And so I, I'd say half the reason to go to conservatory is to figure out who your collaborators are going to be. Um, not just the training, but, you know, figure out who your tribe is. Mm-hmm. I love that. Why might a student, let's say a student were lucky enough to have a lot of great admittances, this maybe yeah. a couple months ago, why might they not choose your school? What, why do you find students go, oh, I'm going to go in this different, different direction? Well, you know, I, I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, every school student has to choose the right place for them. And so I'm, I'm, I'm never like heartbroken when, when a student chooses elsewhere. Of course, you know, we want our top choices to come to us and we're very fortunate that the major, vast majority of our top choices do. But, but, you know, I, it really in the long run works out the best for everybody if the student ends up at the right program for them. Hmm. Um, and I, I'd say some things that that students tend to gravitate towards is a particular location. Some students want to be in the, you know, a big, busy metropolitan hub. Um, Winston-Salem is a wonderfully livable small city in a progress, progressive pocket of the American South. Um, and like the downtown is cool, you know, there's some cool hipster coffee shops and nice restaurants mm-hmm. that the students never have time to go to anyway. Um, and, and I'd say the town is really conducive to the kind of work that we do just because there's, there's just not a lot of distractions for our student mm-hmm. body. And they're, they're pretty busy 24 seven. Um, I'd say, you know, I'd say like, yeah, location is probably the biggest thing. Um, I'd say some students often gravitate towards uh, a strong theater department within a BA program because they have a broader range of interests. And, and that's right for a certain kind of student. I, I'm talking programs like 
um, Muhlenberg College in Pennsylvania, or we, we lost a student to Northwestern University in Chicago this past cycle. And I get it, you know, like the, for, but we're best suited to the kind of student that knows that they want a career um, in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. heading right out of college because, and, and just from the sheer number of hours that you're working at your craft, the, the conservatory environment is probably just going to make you more competitive coming out of the mm-hmm. gate. It isn't to say that you can't catch up coming out of a BA program. And, and both those programs I just mentioned have graduated wonderful uh, performers within the entertainment industry, very famous people. But but the BFA route is probably just going to make you more competitive right out of the gate. I, I, the, the closest thing we liken it to in terms of the singularity and focus and rigor would be going to law school medical school or perhaps division one athletics for four years so Mm -hmm. yeah um i'd love to hear a little more i know you talked a bit about for the musical theater student you know we have a lot of musical theater students many of whom might also apply to uncsa or a juilliard or you know may have an acting school along with some of their more acting focused musical theater schools um how does your program speak to especially like training them if they're saying i do want to keep up my singing training i do want to keep up my dance to some perspective I do want to be that lead in a Broadway show at some point. Um, yeah, how, how can you help and, sure. and speak to that or not? Um, uh, most of our, you know, self-identified competitive singer actors also study privately with our two singing faculty. So mm-hmm. they 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 end up getting a broader uh, singing curriculum and more attention. Um, we do have an optional um, Saturday morning ballet class for anybody that wants to keep those skills up. We have an amazing dance teacher, my colleague, Krisha Marcano, who came to us um, straight out of the National Tour of Memphis. She was the original squeak in The Color Purple on Broadway, but she also did lengthy stints at Alvin Ailey and Martha Graham, two of Mm -hmm. our most famed modern dance companies. Um, And what Krisha does within her class is she actually adjusts the choreography to the needs of a given student. So for a student that's highly advanced, you'll become more so in our program. And she'll she'll make sure that the, the sequence is way more complicated for that kind of student. And then for somebody like me who, you know, can't dance to save his life, she really simplifies it so that that student can also have some success. Um, and I'll say occasionally, this is the very rare student. It's happened a few times in my seven years at, at School of the Arts. Occasionally, a student will be so advanced that um, they will audition and get permission to audit uh, dance classes over within the School of Dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, that's a very rare student. It's happened a few times. I- I'm proud to say like our school has graduated um, some really competitive Broadway dancers. Uh, mm-hmm. Paloma Garcia Lee is the person I think of most recently. It was in the company of uh, Moulin Rouge on Broadway and also uh, recreated, was part of the company recreating the um, original Bob Fosse choreography and Fosse Verdon mm-hmm. on FX. So, you know, we, we have a proud history of, of competitive singer, actor, dancers, Isaac Powell, terrific dancer. The, the program adjusts to the students so that the, the most advanced aren't, you know, kind of atrophying those, those talents. Mm, I love it. Um, let's take a really short break. And when we come back, we will talk about the audition for UNCSA. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, we are back. Um, so, Quinn, I would just love to hear in short, uh, what do you think makes a great audition for you? Oh, great. Uh, you know, I, I look at an applicant's audition as sort of like an in our day it was called a mixtape i guess now it's a playlist <laughs> um um and what it is we first of all we asked for two contrasting contemporary monologues a classical monologue and 16 bars of a song a cappella from from the um, musical theater repertoire um and and i look at it as a chance for the applicant to show four different sides of themselves mm. um and you know what I and it's and it's not what it isn't is an opportunity to like like nobody wants to see something so far removed from yourself or so external like nobody wants to see you play like your ninety year old grandmother um, but we want to see four distinct sides of you you know could be like the aggressive side of you the sensitive side of you the vulnerable side of you the um, the comedic side of you, um, the out of control side of you. Um, and, and what I, you know, and we all have different sides of ourselves. Just think, you know, the, the person that I am right now doing this podcast is a little different than the person that like cuddles with my daughter when she wakes up at seven in the morning, you know, it's a different side of me. I would hope we all have, have many facets to it or us. And, and where I think an applicant gets in trouble is where the work starts to take on a sameness. Mm. Um, and I mean that in every sense. I mean that in terms of uh, physically, vocal intonation, um, energy, um, the characters start, start to all feel the same. And, and so like sort of a kiss of death for me when I write down um, on a, on my audition notes is does not transform or sameness to the work. Mm. Um, so we, we want to see dynamic people. We want to see flexible applicants. Um, we're looking for someone with a spark, someone that needs to be on our stages and screens. Um, and then I'll say the last thing that we're really looking for is someone that really loves acting because it's the one thing that we cannot teach. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot teach you to love this thing that myself and my colleagues have devoted our lives to. That's where you kind of have to meet us halfway. Because if you really don't love it, why put yourself through four really dif- difficult years of training mm-hmm. um, only to enter an even more difficult industry? You've got to really, really love it. Mm. That's a great answer. Um, is there anything that you feel like, you know, is it a, something you don't want to see in a student's audition? Any sort of, please don't do this for me, you know, in, in these auditions? Oh, gosh. Um, there should be a good level of preparation. Um, um, and, and we know everybody's nervous. Like, if, if you weren't nervous, you wouldn't care. Hmm. Um, and we know that, um, 
we know it's a really hard thing that we ask for young people to do, um, which is, you know, share their art, make themselves vulnerable in front of a couple strangers. Um, but what I, I sort of liken auditions to auditions, job interviews, they're, they're just like first dates. And I feel like where someone gets themselves in trouble in an audition or a job interview or a first date is when they try and be the thing that they think the other person wants them to be, mm-hmm. as opposed to bringing themselves fully into the, into the, um, the moment and the space. Um, and, and when an applicant can just, you know, kind of let down that mask and again, just bring themselves fully, um, it's really attractive actually to the, to the people on the other side of the audition table or the people on the other side of the interview desk or the, the person on the other side of the restaurant table, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but I know that the instinct is so often to just try and be that thing that you think you want the other person to be, but you gotta, you gotta really just let that go. And that prep probably only comes from experience of going Mm -hmm. through like 10 or 20 of these things. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about the expectations in a classical piece. Um, I feel like students often have a lot of fear and maybe misplaced ideas about what they need to do with a classical monologue um, for the schools that require it. So what are you looking for when you want a a student to do a Shakespeare or one of his contemporaries? We're we're just really looking to see um, how they handle heightened text. And, And it's less about the technical skill and more about if they're able to fully bring themselves and embody it in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to kind of keeping it at a room at, at a remove from themselves, uh, I'll sometimes write a note that's like uh, that simply says Shakespeare, meaning this sounds like an actor trying to do classical text as opposed to like just bringing themselves fully to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know we we love to see not just Shakespeare, but when a student chooses one of one of his contemporaries, uh, you know, Moliere is really hard, I'll say, but I've seen a couple good ones in my seven years. Um, uh, it's once sometimes students will, or applicants will bring in something closer to the turn of the 20th century. And, but what we're really looking for is something a little further back. That's Mm -hmm. all. Yeah. Well, what about the same question for those 16 bars? Maybe for now, let's talk about some of maybe our acting students who are not singers and ha- have trouble carrying a tune. And they're like, okay, so what, what do I need to do? And what should I be showing in those well, 16 bars if that's where I am? Sure. I'd say it's sort of equal parts. We're, we're looking not only to hear what the instrument is um, so that we know what we're dealing with for four years, but, but we're also looking to see how you act the song. We're not just um, listening to hear you. Um, hit the notes well, and here you go into your belt. We want to see you actually act the song again. It's a we're an acting centric program, and we're looking for for um, singer actors that can embody a lyric, not just again, not just about sounding pretty. Um, and for the and for the the applicant that maybe doesn't have the most polished singing voice or even has trouble matching pitch. Again, we're, we're looking to see you embody the lyric in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, occasionally a student will come into our program and think not really consider themselves a singer, um, but will actually kind of discover their singing voice over the course of their study with us. In, in my day, 
um, there was an actor named Billy Magnuson who came through the program. And um, Billy, he's like working all the time. If you've seen the HBO series Made for Love, he's the mm-hmm. male lead on that. But like one of his first big movies um, out of school um, was playing Rapunzel's Prince in Into the Woods, you know, and he got to sing Agony, which was one of his songs during his his time at school. Um, so you, you never know what you're going to discover mm-hmm. as a as a student going through four years of our training. It's so true. Um, you have resisted the pre-screen craze yes. sweeping the nation. Um, I'd love to talk about why. So what was your impetus behind that? Is that a, a permanent decision? Is that something that maybe that you guys are discussing daily? Um, yeah. Well, philosophically, and this is the recruitment process that I also inherited. So I, I, our kind of um, ethos on this has kind of been entrenched for a while. Um, we feel that every applicant that goes to the trouble of applying to the school, um, gathering letters of recommendation, writing a lengthy artistic statement, preparing three different monologues, preparing 16 bars of a song, paying, you know, a hundred dollar application fee deserves to get, be seen and get a live audition experience. And I, and I get, I totally get some of our peer institutions. The numbers are just so high that there, you know, there's no other way to do it. Um, but we, we actually feel like it's been a part of our identity for a long time. And, and so we're, we're not looking to move towards pre-screens. Um, um, and again, I, I, I just feel like it's a really hard thing that we ask young actors to do and we want them to feel like they're seen. Um, even if a student isn't right for our program, it's, it's still our hope that every student that comes through our audition process still feels positive about the audition process. That's really beautiful. You know, we, we, we have 800 auditions, you know, if we got ended up getting like 1200 applicants, maybe it'd be a little hard to do it, but (laughs) I think the way we do things now, we can probably top that at a thousand. Yeah, I, I do remember having this very conversation with some of my colleagues or some of my professors at Carnegie Mellon. They're like, we will never pre-screen. And like two years yeah. later, they added it. I was like, uh-huh, okay, yeah, yeah. great. So, but just because it is what it is. But yeah. um, I'm going to ask you my favorite question, which was, is, was, and will always be, I guess. Um, if you had to estimate how much of the decision in the room is based on like the skill that you see in the student versus more of those intangibles of what the interview goes like and how the adjustments are and, and their sense of who they are. Like how much for you is about this is where the skill set is and this is where the kind of human being is that I'm seeing. I, I'd say it's not any one thing. Yes, we're we're looking at their an applicant's ability to tell a story. Um, you know, that's that's really what's being adjudicated at the end of the day. What are your storytelling skills? Um and, and then we're looking at things like, what's the instrument? Like, and, and in terms of storytelling skills, I, I mean, in all sorts of ways. Are you a, do you have a physically dynamic presence? Um, do you make interesting choices? Do you make us believe that you're really talking to someone else? Mm. Um, are you really going after something in the monologue as opposed to like playing mood or the idea of the piece? Do you transform again? 
do do we get to see four different sides of you as a as a person as an artist over over the course of your your audition selections um and then you know while you're acting and sometimes this can feel sort of disheartening as an applicant while you're acting we're doing things like looking through your transcripts um reading your artistic statement reading your letters of recommendation looking at your resume and um and we have a wide variety of experiences within a given class we might have um um some students that come to us with professional credits some that come to us from like a rural school in north carolina that maybe doesn't even have much of a theater program mm. Um, we have students that like are coming from a gap year and we love the gap year because generally when a student comes from the gap year, they're, they're in the room for the right reasons. Mm. Um, and you know, things like good grades, that's a bit of information for us. Um, which isn't to say like, if you have not great grades that disqualifies you, there are certain wonderful actors that have come through our program that are such clearly actors, but not particularly academic students. But I'd say the majority of our students actually have terrific grades, mm -hmm. um, you know, and when someone writes a letter of re recommendation that says, so I have been teaching for, you know, 25 years and so and so is the finest student I have ever taught like that means something to us. Mm -hmm. um, when someone writes a really thoughtful um, artistic statement that says something to us when somebody one finishes their work, sits down for the interview and and. I turn to Dean Ziegler and I say, well, that's someone I could have talked to all day long and that I want to spend four years with, you know, like that's, that's another piece of the puzzle. So it's, it's not any one thing, but of course, you know, the, the paramount thing is the, the storytelling skill. And, and just to sort of follow up on that with the grades in SATs or any kind of academic parts of the application, um, is that all for you done in one decision or is there, is there any kind of body you need to bounce it off? If oh, a yeah. No, I know, I know some peer institutions that's, I have friends at other schools and they talk about the, the tension between who they want to take and who the mm -hmm. institution makes them take. <laughs> um, and uh, we, we, we have pretty, um, pretty uh, not so difficult requirements. Mm -hmm. a, a student needs a, at least a 2.5 GPA coming to mm -hmm. us. There are certain credits uh, that you have to have in place. Um, uh, we went uh, test optional this past year, like a lot of schools did. Mm -hmm. I, I hope we retain that. Mm -hmm. um, and um, But our, our requirements are not stringent, but you do need a 2.5 GPA. That's our kind of number. That's a great number yeah. to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd love, is there any like final piece of advice or something that you would give to maybe a prospective student at this point of the year, if this is coming out mid-August, who's just about to kind of start their senior year journey? Um, yeah. Um, well, this is the time to really research. Um, you know, every program has its distinctions. Um, I, I'll say for a lot of families, really look at price tag. I, I feel, you know, you know, the rankings thing are sort of silly, but we're very fortunate that the the Hollywood Reporter ranked us as the highest they've ever ranked us this year. Mm. Um, and we are by far the most cost effective option for the top 10 schools or we're, yeah, top five schools on the, on the list. And um, 
our, our tuition sits at about $23,000 a year. If you're out of state, if you happen to be an in-state North Carolina resident, it's, it's just over $6,000 a year. Hmm. Um, so, you know, for a lot of families really look at cost. Um, I'd say, um, you know, I, I realize again, that students are really weighing is the BA route right for me? Is the BFA route right for me? And probably a lot of students are doing applying to a mix of programs. And, and you know, most of my peer institutions were all really tough to get into. So I'd mm-hmm. say give yourself some options. Um, and then once you know what your options are, go visit. Mm. Um, because you, you really can't know if this is where you want to spend four years until you're actually on campus. Um, we do an accepted students weekend. A lot of our peer institutions do, or they do a callback weekends mm-hmm. to give you a sense of, of what campus life is like. And then the other thing is like, talk to the current student body, figure out, are, do, the, do these students feel like my tribe? And then, and then the other people that have been accepted into your year, do I want to train with, uh, mm-hmm. with, with these artists for four years? Um, and I'd say, look, look at the alumni and see who's working, you know? I, I, but now is the time to really do all that research. Um, with the, the institu- in-state tuition you mentioned, um, yep. which I know is another number, we love the 2.5 number, we love the 6,000 number. Um, is there any flexibility for students after a certain period of time to sort of get in-state tuition once they you know, become North Carolina residents or whatever, or any of those kind of tricks that some schools do? Sure. It's, it's a little tougher nowadays. Um, in my day, because I, I, I was an older student, I lived off campus all four years and I was mm-hmm. able to attain um, uh, in-state residency after a year. Um, now it's tougher because, again, you have to live off campus. Coming in as a freshman, unless you're um, 22 or so, uh, 21, 22, it's 22 years old. Um, you have to be in the dorms for like a year or two. Um, but uh, if you're a little older, you can be off campus um, all, all four years, which I, I recommend mm-hmm. um, for our older students. Um, and, and, but they also now that those residency determinations are no longer made by our registrar. It's sort of made by the system office. Uh-huh. And they're looking at things like, when did you apply and when did you move? Um, but, and this occasionally happens and occasionally families have this kind of flexibility. Occasionally a student will start our program and a member of their family or their family will move to North Carolina and have that kind of flexibility with their jobs. And if, mm-hmm. if that's possible, it's, it's a really great deal once you become in state and it takes about 12 months. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, you could, if that was the path that you went, you could conceivably get residency after your freshman year. For 6,000 bucks, that seems like a deal. Yeah, yeah. I would do it. Um, moving yeah, North everybody Carolina. can work from wherever now. So Seems like know. it, right? It's a great yeah. place to live. Um, I'd love to kind of wrap up with a little bit of just sort of like looking back and looking forward at some of the sort of specific challenges of 2021. I'd love to kind of just hear how your school is preparing to meet this new moment, both in terms of yeah. the kind of demands about racial equity that have come up in a lot of the past number of months, but also demands of a virtual world and what the new business that they're going to be entering into um, and all that. So kind of take that wherever you want to go with that question. Sure. I, I'll say, first of all, um, a lot of what we've done to 
make our campus and our school more equi equitable, diverse, and inclusive. A lot of the work had been laid um, uh, several years ago. Um, it, it was a real initiative of, of Dean Ziegler's coming in. Um, and so we, we were fortunate in that we were a good deal ahead of the curve and weren't just re responding to the events of last summer and the, the murder of George Floyd. Um, and so we're, we're fortunate in that, yeah, we're, we're ahead of the curve. And, and as I mentioned before, um, a lot of it, you know, it's not just about um, recruiting a d diverse student body, but it's about how you support that student body once they're on campus. And again, it means things like decolonizing our syllabi as faculty members, programming um, for the main stage for um, a diverse set of theatrical voices that represent our diverse uh, uh, student body. Um, we're 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 really fortunate in that we have a, a wonderful organization on campus called Artists of Color, um, which I guess would be like the closest thing that we have to like a Black student union. But it's not mm -hmm. um, just for our African American students. There's a Latinx chapter. Um, there's um, an Asian chapter to it as well. Um, and they work very closely with the faculty and with the admin administration, just again to create a more equitable. Uh, diverse and inclusive um, environment for our student body. Um, in terms of the pandemic and how we've dealt with it, um, as I mentioned before, we're, I, I think because our, our campus is kind of such a bubble, we were able to pretty much keep the, the student body safe over the course of the school year and, and still do what we do. Mm. Um, basically, none of us had a had a summer last year um, because we were all preparing for the fall mm -hmm. and the edict were part of the 17 school UNC system and the edict got sent down that we're returning, we're opening the doors in, in the fall last year. And so we, we had to prepare. Um, and, you know, we all learned, you know, on the fly, uh, not this past March, but the one before how to teach virtually. Mm -hmm. And then we, we figured out how to do it much better over the summer. We equipped all of our classrooms uh, and, and um, performance space with uh, Logitech systems, which are basically these big screens with these owl cameras so that we can, we could, um, you know, not only have a certain number of students within the space, um, but also decrease body density and have uh, students in another space working remotely and like mm -hmm. say for instance in a movement class or a singing class the teacher is not only teaching to the the students present but also teaching to the camera the students in the remote studio so we did things like that and as i mentioned before we ended up doing more programming for our main stage than ever because we had to kind of keep things a little smaller mm -hmm. um so we did a number of video capture productions um i i personally directed a production of Lynn Nottage's play Sweat last fall um, that we basically, um, in lieu of performance, we shot the play over several days, mm -hmm. um, several performance of it. And then I spent winter break um, working on the edit with, a, with an editing student over in the School of Filmmaking. We brought in a professional film crew to shoot it, but then I collaborated with an editing student um, hmm. on the cut of it that we then streamed in the spring to our audiences. So we did several performances like that. Um, we did a socially distanced uh, 
devised uh, live performance in the fall, um, wherein we took over an inn kind of equidistant between the school and downtown. And we had individual performers in windows of this hotel Hmm. uh, performing for uh, a socially distanced audience within the courtyard. We did an outdoor live production on campus of Moliere's The Miser, which was terrifically terrifically funny. And what we did with each of those productions is we potted the cast together as Mm -hmm. we got towards tech and really followed industry protocols. We brought in an outside consultant to kind of uh, work us through a lot of it. We had amazing stage management faculty over in the School of Design and Production, which really led all of that. Um, you know, we were we were masked in class. Um, we potted together for productions so that we could do maskless production. Um, and, you know, as difficult and as challenging as it is, if the pandemic has taught us nothing, it is far more conducive to our student population to be live and in person in the classroom than to not be. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we chugged along and, you know, kind of, I'm, there were a lot of mixed feelings about the return to, to the classroom amongst, um, faculty and staff, but I ultimately, I'm just really proud that we were able to do as much as we were able to do this past year. It's so cool. And I do think some of that creativity, even if, and when a pandemic feels like it is behind us in, in the real sense is going to be, I mean, it's the way the industry is going. Every Broadway show is filming itself right now. Literally, they're all racing to do it and put it on Disney Plus or whatever. And I'll say, too, just because we're so um, kind of cutting edge in terms of how we approach on camera training. I mean, the other thing that the pandemic has really hammered home is how important it is for a young actor to get in training to get really comfortable in front of a camera. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There were what, like, amongst all the streaming platforms, like 600 scripted television shows last year. Um, and, and I mean, you all know, like all my actor friends in New York, it's very few that can make a living only on the stage. Correct. And, and really like you, you can't really make a living as an actor anymore, unless again, you're really, uh, comfortable in front of a camera. That's right. And I mean, short of being in a Broadway, one specific Broadway company for 10 straight years. I mean, you would have to be consistent every, you know, it's like most people, that's not true. Most people, even if you play a lead for a year, but you're not going to literally every year be a lead on Broadway. That's right. Yeah. Um, anything else, anything else that we missed or, or sort of final thoughts that you have, um, sort of on your school or for our audience? Um, uh, probably, I know a big question on, probably a lot of your listeners' minds is what is the upcoming audition cycle going to look like? Yes, please. Thank you. Um, we, we were on Zoom for, you know, all auditions this past year. So uh, uh, Dean Ziegler and I were <laughs> doing doing nightly Zooms every Tuesday through Friday night mm-hmm. um, and then all weekend long. Uh, and so I set we sat down with, um, we're part of a consortium of, of four other schools, Carnegie Mellon, SUNY Purchase, uh, Rutgers, and Boston University. And we talked about what the upcoming audition cycle is going to look mm-hmm. like at the start of this past summer. Um, and we're, we're in agreement to, to get back to live auditions. So we're, we're aligning at this moment, you know, you never know what's going to change nationally, but the plan is, and we've made reservations to, 
Um, the uh, in New York during Unifieds at Ripley Greer, um, we'll be aligned with Chicago Unifieds. We're always at the Hyatt Regency um, mm-hmm. for Chicago Unifieds. And um, the only thing that's a little up in the air right now is Los Angeles Unifieds. And that's because it happens to align with Super Bowl weekend, which happens to be in Los Angeles this mm-hmm. year, which is terrible. I, I don't know if you have a contact at, at Los Angeles Unifieds. <laughs> you should tell them to move it. We've been, we have no idea. Who to get well, you know, it's in Anaheim this year. I know it's in Anaheim. That's still only 30 miles away from the stadium. <laughs> flying like, it is going to be. can't get lodging or anything. Um, so there's that. Um, but we're, we're, we always have a, a few weekends on campus mm-hmm. and, um, and we're, we're retaining a couple weekends on zoom purely for access. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'll, cause you know, f- in fairness to families that, you know, are put through a financial burden of, of travel for unifieds, we want to remain more accessible, but also things come up, you know, people get sick, mm-hmm. uh, conflicts arise, weather in Chicago sometimes plays a part in things. So, so we really want to retain some access. So we will, we'll, we're going to kind of bookend the audition tour with, with a couple weekends on zoom. So if people loved hearing you talk and I imagine they must have, um, are there uh, places they should be following you personally? We, we have UNCSA's um, ats that we'll hit in the, the show notes. Um, but is there any places where it's like, they should t- follow Quinn? Oh, um, well you can, yeah. At UNCSA drama, um, and, um, you should definitely check out our website. There's a wealth of information on there that'll take you through the entire curriculum, but, but I'd say the Instagram UNCSA drama, you'll find the most fun alumni news and, and things like that. Love it. And we'll drop all that in the show notes for sure. Um, Quinn, thank you so much for the time today. It was such a pleasure getting to chat with you. Oh, pleasure's all mine. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed our chat with Quinn. Uh, He's such a smart and articulate, artistic man. Uh, Always so great to get to chat with him. Uh, Megan knows I am tempted to do a deeper dive on the idea of like revealing yourself versus trying to impress or show the faculty who you think they want to see. But I think I've reached my quota for the month on that particular brand of takeaways. And let's be honest, be honest, it's all I want to talk about. And since I'm not going to pay for a subscription to get beyond the firewall, let's talk about something else, huh? Um, I really love that Quinn brought up this idea of range, um, showing four, in his case, since they have a requirement of four different pieces, different sides of yourself. Um, I also really like his analogy of like a mixtape or a a playlist is his modern equivalent there. Uh, At MTCA, we often phrase it like, you're playing you in you, the musical. So I'm Charlie and Charlie exclamation point, the musical. Um, What are all the kind of different sides of Charlie that would tell the story of who I am? Uh, Of course, you're different than, you know, with your parents, than you are with your friends, than you are with your teachers, than you are when you're alone, than with different types of friends, than you are when you're feeling on top of the world or when you're feeling at the end of your rope, right? All the different sides of you are a lot of actually different characters that make up the whole amalgam of what you are. Um, and how many different yous can you bring in across all of the range of yous that still paint a broader picture that ends up looking like you? Right. That's the challenge of of doing this, you know, Charlie and Charlie, the musical exercise. These don't just have to be parts of you that you're most proud of. 
Um, I'm going to encourage you often the parts of our personality that we hide from certain parts of polite society, maybe from our parents, are really exciting and dynamic to bring on stage. Um, I'll tell you personally for me, at 17, I was so deathly afraid of being thought of as arrogant. Um, it made me choose pieces that I think avoided a huge section of who I am and what I can do really well. I still showed a lot of range and, you know, I showed a piece that had like a, a ton of physical abandon and, and I was willing to make a fool of myself. I was always really good at that. And still to this day, um, in my classical piece, especially I did that. And, and I did a really simple, I think vulnerable, very truthful, dramatic monologue that showed a lot of like the poetry that lives in my heart. Um, but it took me a few years into school before I was able to make peace with the idea that someone could watch me act and think that arrogant asshole, you know, uh, and it unlocked this wonderful world of characters that I am incredibly right for. Um, and some of them were cocky or arrogant, but some of them were just confident characters or some of them were able to use language in a slick and often funny way, which is very true for me. Um, it was a whole world of characters that where I got to show my intelligence, which I had been hiding, which is one of my best skills. I've been kind of hiding this for fear of being seen as an elitist. So all that to say, I think it's worth investigating as you're expanding your range and you're looking at your range, which parts of you are you afraid to show to the world? And what is that fear hiding for you in terms of character slash roles you can unlock? Now, what we've just done here, Megan, and I'm going to be honest, is we've taken a concept of range and talked a little bit about vulnerably revealing who we are. We couldn't help it. But in terms of range, practically, um, I think you can give yourself some specific goals to show as much range as humanly possible while staying within the bounds of things you really know about. So to Quinn's point of not playing a 90-year-old grandma, that would probably be too much range, right? Unless there's some specific reason, you know, we're not going to make any rules because if you tell me why you have to play a 90-year-old, we could talk about it, right? Um, but I think that's a very smart point of going, how do I show off myself, but not necessarily to the very extremes? So the goal isn't necessarily what is the farthest thing from the center of me that I can possibly play, but it's going to those dense places on your own personal scatter plot and trying to pull things that will contrast in as many ways as possible. I do think contrast is a really important word because sometimes people think linearly in terms of comedy and drama, but forget to think about something as simple as like the size of a piece. So for instance, a very dramatic, maybe over the top dramatic classical piece and a crazy physical comedic piece can often be very similar in a lot of ways. Even though one is very dramatic, one is very comedic, they're actually, in terms of size, in terms of tone, very similar. Um, I also think it is worth noting for these exercises, as you're thinking about contrast, I would start with this as a discipline-specific exercise. So in Quinn's case, he's talking about just acting. Um, he's talking about um, with three monologues and a song, but really three monologues being the focus there uh, for UNCSA. I would think about it in terms of your monologue and then in terms of your song and then in terms of your dance, as opposed to feeling like, well, I showed this in my dance, so I shouldn't show it in my monologue. I think that's not a helpful way to think. You, you can consider the broader picture, maybe in between your monologues and songs, especially as you get into specific auditions, maybe auditions where you know they're happening in the same room. You can at least consider in terms of which ones you present. But as you're picking your range of three to four monologues or three to four songs or, that are going to be in your audition repertoire, I wouldn't start with the, the whole picture. I'd start with this one specific and then maybe expand outward if you're going to do some of that. Just so you know, some acting rooms and singing rooms will be different auditions. You may act in a room and then sing in a different room. Sometimes you'll do it all in one room. But that would be my advice in terms of range. We didn't do it all about 
vulnerable you're feeling yourself, Megan. I think we did okay with this one. Mm. Um, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more of me making fun of myself for Megan's benefit, please hit that follow button. Um, we would also really appreciate it if you can rate us and review us wherever you find us. We suggest five stars if you're planning to move somewhere to game the system for in-state tuition and an ironic five stars if you're planning to move out of a state to pay extra as some sort of like weird flex. That would be an ironic five stars. Um, you can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com. This is where you can give us your thoughts on what you like to call acting schools. Uh, if you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college audition journey, please check us out at mtcollegeauditions.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journey, let me know if you actually listen this far in the episode for me to leave these little inspirational jokes. Let us know because otherwise I'm just really doing it for myself, right? We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.